Welcome to the Stargate Archives, buried deep within Cheyenne Mountain. Greetings and welcome to the Stargate Archives and a new episode of Stargate Theatre. On this episode I'm going to be looking at the 2011 movie Ferocious Planet, which stars Joe Flanagan. This movie premiered in the US 9th of April 2011 and went under various names on other sci-fi channel networks such as Alien Gateway, The Other Side and Planet of Monsters. DVDs were released in 2011 and there was a Blu-ray release in 2014. Rotten Tomato scores. Critics, no scores at all. Audience, 10%. That is the lowest score one of these movies has gotten on the <laughs> Stargate Theatre. So it doesn't deserve it, to be honest. I've seen Frozier's Planet a couple of times. It's better than 10%. The movie was written by Douglas G. Davis. He's also written Pawnee and Alice in Deadland. Also an editor, Blue's Clues and Eureka's Castle. And the movie was directed by Billy O'Brien. He's directed Isolation, The Wind, Coal and The Hybrid. Right then, Joe Flanagan as a military man. Monsters, dinosaurs, whatever you want to call them. Battle for survival, action and adventure. What more could you want? Ferocious Planet. Here we are then, the beginning of Ferocious Planet. RHI Entertainment, that's a name I know. Robert Halmy's company spent most of their time making the B-type movie. Mysterious Island, The Monkey King, Grizzly Rage, Snow Queen. A lot more movies as well. A lot for sci-fi channel anyway. We see the White House as the camera drives by. And then we get a close-up of the Federal Science Institute. Sounds fancy. And we see inside the storage area, lots of racks. Very dark. There's Colonel Sin, played by Joe Flanagan. Joe, of course, Colonel Shepard from Stargate Atlantis. Also recently been in SEAL Team, Age of Crimes, Whereas 13, and respectable run on General Hospital. He looks rough. His uniform doesn't look particularly neat or tidy. He's all stubbled up. He looks miserable, to be honest with you. He's looking at some photos of yachts. He gets his electric shaver out, because he's just had a call. His guests are here. The battery dies in the shaver, so, oh well, never mind. And he then opens up his emergency use box and a bottle of scotch, takes a swig and goes to meet his guest. Comes into the foyer and so we meet Dr. Fast and Senator Crenshaw, who is mildly surprised that the Colonel is there. Definitely these pair have got a past. That will be interesting as the movie goes along. An interesting accent John Reese davis is put in on. Very well-known face and voice in the movie and TV industry. He's been in Once Upon a Time, Revelations... Voyager, of course, Sliders, very prolific voice actor as well. Yep, he definitely doesn't like our Colonel. <laughs> Rent a cup, though. Perfect job for a man who disgraced his country. Well, as labs go, this is pretty pathetic. It's a very small, dark, low-ceiling room. Pretty sure the production could have done better than this. Anyhow, there's some very steampunky apparatus set up in the middle of the room. Dr. Julian O'Hara played by Dagmar Doring, is taking some readings, talking with one of their colleagues who seems very nervous about this demonstration. The funding is on the line. The senator isn't happy with the project, whatever it is they're undertaking, and this must be the do-or-die demonstration. And we get a bit of melodrama. As Lieutenant Rivers comes up to Dr Gillian, thanks her for a good time last night. She's embarrassed, ashamed... 
basically annoyed. This isn't the time or the place. Was she slumming with the uh, with the soldier boy? Who knows, but that ain't very nice. Michael Yar plays Lieutenant Rivers, another actor who had a role in Fair City, Dagmar also. It's no surprise that a lot of these actors had roles in productions set in Ireland. Ferocious Plant itself was filmed in Ireland, Dublin. So obviously they're taking talent from the local acting pool, apart from the few big names they get in to uh, draw the global audience. At the very least, if you get some sort of tax break to film in a specific location, at least hire the local actors. Got to be commended for that. Dr. O'Hara goes on to explain that they've got a demonstration that will reveal two scientific breakthroughs. The first is unlimited heat energy using a cold fusion process. The senator is sceptical, to say the least. And the second is the accumulation of over 30 years' research started by O'Hara's father into parallel dimensions. The common vernacular is the multiverse, and she requires about $250 million to maintain the research. Karen Fast announces herself. She's played by Catherine Walker. She's been in Holby City, Shetland, Cursed and Deceived. She's science advisor for the president. And she asks the obvious question. Yeah, you can see these other dimensions, but can you actually travel to them? O'Hara is sceptical. She doesn't believe it's possible to actually travel. But the scientific data that can be gleaned by observing these alternate parallel dimensions is immense. I've got a feeling I will be siding with the senator at this point. Just being observing another power dimension doesn't justify the expense unless you can actually take something physically from it. Or you find intelligent life and communicate with such. That might be interesting. Anyhow, they're looking at one particular realm, very similar to Earth, and something flashes across the screen very fast, and you hear a screech, and the power spikes. Here we go, the machine is getting out of control. Going to try to reduce power to only 1.2 terawatts, <laughs> and then globe of energy expands out from the machine, encompasses the entire room. Everybody in it just collapses as if power was literally turned off. The camera pans around the room. We see that everybody is literally unconscious. First person to wake up is Colonel Sin. His faculties slowly return, and he looks around and he sees a body that's gently rocking backwards and forwards. And we can hear this kind of organic crunching sound. And then Guy's arm just falls off and something rises above his waist. Some sort of creature, we don't know what. The colonel draws his gun and flash, the creature's gone. Out of the room, running down the corridor. He gives chase, he fires two, three times. The gunshots wake up Lieutenant Rivers. He calls for help, no response on the radio. And he goes out into the hallway as well. Finally, the lieutenant gets in contact with the colonel of the radio. He tells the lieutenant to stay put while he's tracking down whatever whatever ate one of their men. And we get a very nice atmospheric set of scenes as the colonel walks down these darkly lit corridors, emergency lighting. Very nice. I've got to say, very impressed. Probably didn't cost a lot of money, but you got a good cinematographer who can make this work. And he does. I've got to say, interesting choice for the music. It was very discordant. It's not really building up the atmosphere as much as forcing you to feel uneasy. Credit for the music for this movie goes to Ray Harmon. Looking at his IMDb profile has done a hell of a lot of work for TV. Some of the things I recognise. Vexed, Whistleblower, Inspector George Gently, a number of B-movies which I've seen, and a number of documentaries as well. The Colonel enters the storage room. We see something moving. 
rapidly, he takes a few shots and it escapes him through an air vent in the ceiling. So whatever this is, it's sneaky. Oh and there it is, we get a close up of it. Not sure about the size but it's got about a dozen eyes. <laughs> the colonel pumps a few bullets into it, we hear a thump and a splatting sign as it falls to the ground, dead. Meanwhile in the lab, everybody's waking up, except perhaps for the bloke who's been et. <laughs> the life of an extra. <laughs> it turns out there's been a number of fatalities, whether or not through the energy blast itself or something chomping on them. Soon as the colonel returns to the lab, the senator gets on his high horse, but the colonel kind of derails him by dumping out of the body of whatever it is he's got. Everybody is a little surprised to say the least. You know, the smell is ammonia. But this is like something they've never seen before. And which, considering they were looking at alternate dimensions and alternate realities, eh. <laughs> Dr. Fast is the first one to actually bring forth the idea that it's a creature from another dimension. The senator, yep, he scoffs at the idea. He's, uh, he's getting out of here. That's when Colonel Sin puts his foot down and says the protocol demands that this is a quarantine situation. And at that point, the building starts to shake and everybody starts earthquake, earthquake. So, <laughs> just what they need, isn't it? The senator spends the entire duration of the earthquake complaining, as he does. Gotta say, bad choice for the accent, really bad choice. You were once a golden boy, but you brought disgrace and dishonour to yourself and to our country. The rumbling dies down, and Dr. Fast makes a rather interesting comment. That didn't feel like an earthquake. It almost felt like we were sliding. Yeah, sliders. I've got to assume that's deliberate. The senator finally throws his rattle out of his pram, decides he's going to leave the lab. The colonel says he's got the right to use force to prevent him from leaving. I assume within the quarantine regulations. The senator isn't impressed. He's throwing his weight around a bit. He reaches the door, barges past the security guard and flings him open. Well, it's certainly not a busy industrial area or side street that, he, that the doors open upon. It's woodland. Yes, folks. Forest. 1001, 1002. And we say goodbye to the good senator. He's standing there, a dumb, bounded look on his face. When something very big and very fast flashes across the screen, there's a huge shower of blood, and the senator is no more. <laughs> John Reese davis obviously wasn't contracted for that many days of work for this movie. Money in the pocket, a new extension on the house perhaps. Bye-bye, I'm out of here. The colonel and the lieutenant draw their handguns. They take a few tentative steps outside. We can see the trees off into the distance. There's some fires burning. And the body of the senator literally ripped into two pieces. The camera pans up and the sky is lilac. We get a 180 visual. And we see basically just one part of the building that they originally entered. A doorway, concrete walls. Where's the rest of the building? Where's the rest of the city? What planet are they on? <laughs> or more to the point, what dimension are they in? And here we get the first look at one of the monsters. Very much in the vein of a T-Rex, a large reptilian type creature, primarily running on its back legs. It's got some sort of bone structure that looks like horns, slanted multiple eyes, facing forward, definitely a predator. Doesn't look particularly scared and the bullets don't seem to make much of a difference. Boys, you're in trouble. The CGI, however, 
not good. Not very good at all. You've got to make allowances for the fact that they haven't got huge budgets, they haven't got huge amounts of time to do the effects. And truth be told, most people that watch these movies do not watch them to be amazed by the visuals. If you do watch this and you switch the movie off because you think the monster doesn't look good enough, you're missing the point. Finally, silence descends outside. They take a peek out and whatever that monster was is gone. The colonel goes back into the lab. The survivors want answers. He takes out his 9mm, fires a few holes into the wall and says, take a look. They have a look through and they see the forest. Of course, all the questions start coming on. Obviously, it's pointed out that perhaps that device they were using to look at alternate dimensions actually transported them here. The Doctor, of course, is totally confused. That's not what it does. That's not what it's for. But anyway, it's damaged now. But she's going to have to fix it because it is the only way they may be able to return to Earth, our reality. Fortunately, as was pointed out, alternate reality they were observing was picked because it had a similar environment. So... Oxygen, nitrogen, that's fine. Gravity, that's fine. So, time for a recon. I'm not sure I'd particularly want to do it, unless you were desperate for food or water. Uh, stay put. But some people like to explore, and some people like to stay at home. Nice and snug. Dr. Fast is one of those for exploring the immediate surroundings. She joins the colonel. He's not too happy about it, but hey-ho. If you think about it, this discovery and... Successfully returning, make or break a career, in military or civilian life. The recon team venture out into the forest. Dr. Fast takes a phone out, states that she's going to take some pictures because nobody's going to believe this. They have a look at the outside of the lab. Definitely can see some sort of marks on the mountain. Definitely looks like it's lid down, so maybe in this reality, who knows. <laughs> they keep exploring. They come across a tree with some sort of weird growth, some fungus-like parasite wrapping itself around the tree trunk. It even got some sort of bioluminescence. Yeah, this world is going to be full of strange and dangerous things. Fortunately, nobody decides to take a bite. Private Reed makes a discovery. A lone tree with a parking meter embedded in it, with its concrete base still intact. A mystery, a mystery indeed. Whatever brought them to this world ripped this parking meter out of the concrete and flung it, I don't know, 100, 200 yards through this tree. They really missed the point to, <laughs> for it to go ding and <laughs> uh, penalty. Meanwhile at the lab, the professor and her assistant are busy trying to repair the device. Seems something significant has broken. Her assistant, very nervous, he, he doesn't react well under pressure. But the professor's got an idea of why this all happened. And then we get a rather pointless scene where we see the two of them scribbling in mathematical formulas in a notebook, which means nothing to anybody. Telling me they couldn't come up with some techno babble to fill this space? I'm pretty sure they could have done. Watch an episode of Voyager. Plenty of it on there. Two of the men start to discuss the future. What if they get out of here? Money to be made, fame and fortune. Especially if they could have something to take back with them. Obviously the dead body of the monster, the alien creature... The scientists want to take that back to study, but what if they work together? What if they could take something back? So the two of them form a partnership, looks like it's going okay, until one of them pokes the alien creature with his pen, pierces his skin. <laughs> Sorry, but this was funny. Pierces his skin and liquid shoots out and hits the other guy straight in the forehead. He screams in agony, falls to the concrete floor as his head, his skull dissolves. Ooh, nasty. <laughs> nasty. <laughs> Oh, and then 
<laughs> when the professor comes up, what happened? The guy blames the dead guy for doing it. <laughs> it was him that poked him. Oh, what a bastard. <laughs> Don't poke the alien. We get a few moments of character building. Discussion between the colonel and Fast. And the two marines also have a chat. Until something moves in the woods. Take a defensive position. Strangely enough, <laughs> Private Reed is slightly offset with the group. And yes, indeed, the rest of them look on in horror as something big and vicious runs up and starts slaughtering him, ripping him to pieces. Uh, the poor Private never stood a chance. Rest in peace, young man. Everybody's now running for their lives, and I've got to give Fast credit. She's got heels on, and she's running like a champ. Two remaining Marines provide a bit of cover fire until Lieutenant Rivers manages to fall down a hole. That's the problem when you're constantly looking behind you at what's chasing you. You're not looking where you're actually running. The Colonel tells him to stay put. Him and Fast make it back to the lab. Only getting inside within seconds before the monster arrives. The Colonel tosses a smoke grenade outside. Seems to confuse the creature and it departs. Hopefully not to eat Lieutenant Rivers. The Colonel calls Rivers. It makes contact. Unfortunately, Rivers has fallen into a sinkhole. Or quicksand. Either way, he is slowly sinking. The colonel's not going to let him let him die alone, though, and he's certainly not going to wait for the creature to run away, as Karen Fast actually wants him to. Rivers throws some smoke grenades, and the colonel goes out, and trips and falls into the sinkhole. <laughs> it's actually a lot funnier than it sounds, believe me. How's the rescue plan coming, sir? Oh, the American military in all its glory. The colonel is lying stomach down on the lip of the sinkhole, his feet inches away from the grasp of the lieutenant, Lieutenant finally gets hold of his feet and starts pulling, which only drags the colonel down. <laughs> they are both going to die until Karen Fast appears, digs her heels in and starts pulling. Upper body strength, Pilates, six days a week, she says. Bless her, saves the day. The creature then displays incredible stealth capability, getting to within feet of him before it slams Talon straight into the ground. Roars, they make a run for it, somehow, unbelievably, they manage to get to the lab and safe again. Yeah, whatever this world is, wherever it is, this isn't meant for humans. In the lab, bad news is spread. The colonel's lost a man. Another man's died inside the lab. Don't poke the aliens, okay? But he does have an idea. If these animals have ammonia for internal bodily fluids, some sort of acid, is it flammable? And will it burn? And yes, it does. So, a weapon. Dr. O'Hara claims that he's fixed the machine. She thinks, anyway. 15 minutes before it can be activated and get them home. So, we've got to count down. All they've got to do is survive. But we can hear the creature rumbling around outside. It knows where they are. Things start to go from bad to worse as the doctor explains their predicament. She needs water, at least 50 gallons. And we haven't really seen a source of water as of yet. Tricky. Plus, there's a time limit now. Yes, the machine, they'll know, will work within 15 minutes, but they've got a six-hour window to actually escape this world. Dr. Karen Fast is actually quite pleased because she wants to explore more of this world, more information, more data. So this is an opportunity to actually go out looking for water. Colonel, is this device actually portable? Well, yes, technically. <laughs> it certainly would help if you could take it to the water source rather than... I mean, 50 gallons of water, that'd weigh a lot. Hell of a lot. Ah. Surprisingly, Google is my friend. Somebody has actually asked Google how much does 50 gallons of water weigh? Roughly about 189 kilos. That's a little much for one man to carry. So, 
As long as the device weighs a significant less than that, then you take it with you. At this point, we hear the roar of the monster again, and one of its huge tusks punches right through the reinforced concrete of the lab. It's definitely found where they are. Damage is being done to the building. The colonel grabs a fire extinguisher and throws it through the opening into the giant moor of the beast. And then fires a 9mm round into it. The extinguisher explodes. By the looks of it, takes a creature with it. Clever, if unlikely. The result, of course, is more structural damage to the building as it starts to collapse. And as, uh, <laughs> as the carnage continues, the screen fades to black. We return to see the whole lab structure has collapsed. Rubble everywhere. First one out is the Colonel. He finds Lieutenant Rivers and Dr. Fast, both alive and well. The Senator's aide is dug out. He's got a piece of rebar sticking out of his chest. Murphy, his only concern is the machine. Has it survived? And we finally find the good Doctor, who has, in fact, <laughs> grabbed the machine and survived unscathed. That's a woman who knows where her priorities lie. Then we hear a roar in the distance. Don't know if it's the same creature, because there's a, certainly a, a lack of entrails around this area. Could be the creature's mate. Either way, they've got to move out, because they need water anyway. So the final six survivors of this tragic accident start trekking through the woodlands. And we see that the machine is leaking as well. I'm sure that's going to come back and bite them in no time. They get to a ridgeline, and behold, three huge moons on the horizon. And something else. Some sort of power. Technology. Not organic. Definitely looks metallic. So a choice has to be made. Dr. Fast is obsessed with finding alien life. Intelligent life. Dr. O'Hara, uh, first priority is getting water. So they can escape back to Earth. The Colonel decides to split the team up. They've got less than six hours. Lieutenant Rivers takes Murphy and O'Hara looking for a river with the radio. Get in touch if you find the water. And if we find intelligent life, we'll get in touch. Because if you find intelligent life, then chances are they've got water. Sounds like a plan. It's going to go wrong, of course, but it's a plan. Lieutenant River, along with the scientists, discover some saturated ground. They follow it to a stream. And unfortunately, there's one of those huge creatures taking a drink. They quietly back away. Meanwhile, the Colonel, along with Dr. Fast and the Senator's aide, discover one of the creatures, what looks like, sitting on some sort of nest. After a couple of minutes, it rises and walks off, and yes, indeed, there's a huge batch of eggs sitting on the ground. Now, I don't know much about eggs, but I've always thought that a creature that lays eggs, the eggs tend to be roughly the same size as each other. We've got eggs here that are bigger than footballs, and some that are as small as... Well, small things. Uh, <laughs> why this is beneficial to an animal's reproduction, different size eggs. So they don't grow after they pop out mama. Anyway, they get a radio call. Lieutenant Rivers tells them about the water. They start to back away. That's when the creature confronts them. Why? Because the sensors aid nicked an egg. He is so desperate to get on Fox and Friends, as he says. He's willing to do anything. Colonel tells him just to gently put the egg down. The idiot, of course, drops it and it smashes. Fast and the Colonel scarper and the creature basically rips a guy in half. Suddenly the chance of survival has gone up for the rest of them. <laughs> yeah, he deserved everything. He was an utter moron. Selfish moron at that. Dr. Fast is still adamant that she will not leave without exploring the tower. She sees incredible potential in making contact with whoever built it. 
that she understands that the rest of them cannot wait for her. So the colonel gives her a radio, get in contact if you find anything, and they part ways. Meanwhile, Lieutenant Rivers is making a pipe bomb using the creature's blood and a blasting cap using one of his bullets. Unfortunately, the creature in the river hasn't moved yet. Using the pipe bomb, well, that's kind of the last resort because it might not work. Anyhow, he makes a spear. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what he's planning, but he gets himself a full-on kiss with the Doctor. She might have been happy to have a bit of rough when nobody was around, but she's actually openly admitting some affection for him. Worst ways to uh, go out. But I fear the worst for Lieutenant Rivers. So, Rivers casually approaches the monster. He's attached the pipe bomb to the spear itself. He lights a fuse, throws the spear, it embeds itself into the shoulder of the creature. The bomb is literally only ooh, maybe a foot from its eyes. So if it goes off, it's going to cause extreme damage. And the fuse goes out. <laughs> Rivers runs for it. He turns and he runs for it as the two scientists just look on, perplexed. <laughs> that was his plan. It's the worst plan I've ever seen. He's one crazy son of a bitch. We need to get to the water while we can. Well, if nothing else, I'll give respect to Lieutenant Rivers. He's got excellent cardio. He's sprinting through the woodland. Meanwhile, the machine is filling with water. It's only a matter of time now. Lieutenant Rivers meets up with the Colonel. They don't shoot each other. Uh, looks like he's going to be okay. Unfortunately, we see in the background that the, that the monster is caught up with him. It lunges and drives one of its tusks right through the lieutenant's chest, impaling him on the tree. Blood's pouring out his mouth. He's in agony. He warns the colonel, though, get away, because he lights a fuse, or relights a fuse. And the IED explodes, severely injuring the creature, which limps away in agony. Colonel returns and sees, well, chunks of rivers everywhere. He picks up his dog tags, wipes some of the blood off them, and heads back to the scientist. Unfortunately, the machine didn't have any coolant, that's what's been leaking. Had water enough to generate the fusion reaction, but without the coolant, oh no. Luckily, they do stop it before it explodes, but they're in trouble now. Even worse trouble, they use Freon as a coolant, which obviously isn't available at this time. Fortunately, ammonia will work, and they know where there is ammonia. Just got to capture one of the creatures. Fortunately for them, the colonel knows of an alternative, and he takes them towards a nest. Unfortunately, the mother monster is still sitting on the eggs, and they've only got a couple of hours to go. As time passes, Murphy gets more and more panicky. As the colonel and O'Hara go on a recon, Murphy finally breaks, grabs the machine, and does a runner. Unfortunately, the monster takes note of this and is in pursuit. He trips, he falls, the monster pounces, smash, smash, stab, stab. Murphy's dead and the monster drags him off. Unfortunately, the machine's carrying handle is looped around his ankle and it too gets dragged away. Well done, Murphy. Meanwhile, Dr. Fast is climbing a rocky escarpment. She gets caught in a small landslide, her foot's trapped, some blood, lots of damage done to it. Questionable whether she'll be able to go on ahead. Definitely she can't get back to them and anyway, so she's on her own. It looks like there are not going to be many survivors, if any. The Colonel has come up with a plan. They are near one of the many sinkholes which seems to populate this landscape. It's heavily covered with uh, wood growth. Very difficult to spot. A trap, no doubt, for the unwary. I get the creature to chase me over to here. I grab the vine, swing across, it falls into the hole. Like Tarzan? Yes, Jane, just like Tarzan. 
So the colonel uses himself as bait, draws the creature out into pursuing him, running alpha leather through the woods. Meanwhile, O'Hara has infiltrated the nest, starts collecting the eggs, drops one. Somehow, the creature, which is hundreds of yards away, hears it and turns around, leaving the colonel there to curse. Yeah, nothing ever goes right. And to just complicate things even further, she can't even get the machine, because it's still tied around Murphy's dead body. <laughs> Anyhow, the two of them are now camped a little ways from the nest, hidden in the foliage, planning what to do next. You got any ideas for plan C? Meanwhile, Dr. Fast finally makes it up the embankment. We see her climb in, she's made it. She gazes upon the structure. We get a close-eyes view of her face. Whatever it is, it wasn't what she was expecting. Oh no, oh no. And we cut back to the colonel. <laughs> okay, credit to the director and the editor there. That worked well. Well, somehow O'Hara did get away from the nest with a single small egg. This time the creature didn't notice, unlike with the aid, but uh, we'll let that pass. Just as the colonel's dreaming up a plan, the monster somehow just puts its head around the corner. It crept up on him. It sees the egg. The colonel goes running. It gives chase. O'Hara gets knocked unconscious. He's running, he's running, he's getting closer to the sinkhole. Just as he's getting closer, the monster's nipping at his heels. He leaps forward and he throws the egg towards the sinkhole. The monster leaps forward, jumps and falls down. Down, down, down. That's the end of this creature, I believe. Colonel's okay. I'm not sure about Hohara. Hopefully she is, because I don't think the Colonel can operate the machine. Let's find out. Of course, O'Hara is all right, otherwise they wouldn't be getting back. They take the machine to the nest, start straining the ammonia from the eggs. Might take a while, though. Meanwhile, back on the mountaintop, Dr. Fast is having all her expectations come crashing down around her. Place is full of debris, papers, bricks, very familiar pieces of architecture. What she thought was a piece of alien technology built by an intelligence unknown to mankind was, in fact the telecommunications mask of the IRS building next to the research lab. In fact, most of the papers floating around in the breeze are audits and tax returns. So, she's going to be stranded alone on this in this dimension. Oh dear. <laughs> but not for long, because the creature that Lieutenant Rivers wounded has been stalking her. And while it may be crippled, it's still fast enough and big enough to chomp her hole. Goodbye, Doctor. You were a pain in the arse. <laughs> O'Hara confirms that the machine is now ready, or at least she hopes it is. The colonel calls Dr. Fast one last time on the radio, no response. Well, no, she's dead, she's been hit. They hold hands and they press the button moments before the creature returns to nibble on them. A flash of energy, a spherical pulse spreads out and we see the Federal Science Institute research sign back on the building. There's a localised disturbance and another pulse of energy and the Colonel and the Doctor appear in the foyer of the building. We can hear sirens and activity outside. Let's just hope they've returned to the same place in the same time frame <laughs> that they left. The two of them slowly walk towards the doorway. We don't see what's outside. There's no indication that anything particularly is wrong. The Doctor turns towards the Colonel. You first. They could have done a twist here. They could have actually shown maybe a different colour sky, maybe a different size moon. But no, they chose just to leave it hanging like that. Let the viewer decide if they got back or not. 
I take it that they did. I don't think if they're going to actually say it wasn't their world, they would have done something about it. Doesn't really matter, I suppose, but there we go. And there you have it, Ferocious Planet. Not a bad movie. You know, very low budget, I think that's fair to say. Getting John Reese davis even for maybe one or two days shooting, probably cost a significant amount. Joe Flanagan, at the time, coming off Atlantis, may have, you know, been reasonably expensive. He is a name that the Sci-Fi Channel would obviously have been happy to promote. CGI of the movie. Uh, the creature design was okay. The CGI itself, it needed a lot more detail. It needed more rendering. They could have done a lot more with shading. As I said in movies like this before, they've got a budget. They've got to figure out how to spend it. The movie was shot in Ireland. I assume they got some sort of tax break. But even so, most of the movie was shot on location. Not cheap. The story itself, yeah, perfectly serviceable. The acting, competent. I had no real problems with any of the actors and their roles. Some of the characters were really annoying, as they should have been. Some of them <laughs> died heroic deaths, other stupid deaths. But again, yeah, that was okay. Up next, I'm not sure. Got a couple of B-moves I'm thinking of. There might be something with a kind of a dragon. Yeah, that sounds like uh, the next one. Although, I've got something I have to do this week so i might not be able to record another episode might be a couple of weeks before the next one we'll see anyhow thank you for listening if you would like to join me on the podcast please get in touch if you've got a b-movie you want to uh, talk about fantastic if it stars somebody from stargate excellent if you want to talk about stargate itself pick an episode come on and chat about it even better you can uh, contact me at stargatearchives.com or at stargatearchives at gmail.com we are on facebook and tumblr on Twitter at the Gatecast, we are hosted on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Amazon, Google, TuneIn, Podbay, Stitcher, and we've got RSS manual feeds that you can copy and paste into your favourite podcatcher. Till next time, please take care. I've been Mike. Bye bye. <laughs>